Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the Great Day Podcast. I'm your friend and host, Mayor Kay. And today we have Mark Metry, a 23-year-old entrepreneur, Forbes-featured keynote speaker, and author. His book, Screw Being Shy, is out on Amazon, and he has a successful podcast himself called Humans 2.0, which I've had the privilege of being a guest on. Thank you so much, Mark, for having me. In his 23 years, Mark has accomplished a whole lot he has an intellectual and emotional intelligence way beyond his years, and there's much to learn from our conversation. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Mark Metry. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It is a great day, and for my for selfish reasons, why it's such a great day, because today we have Mark Metry on the Great Day Podcast. Mark, thanks for making the time. Thanks for being here. Dude, thank you for having me, man. It's been, a, it's been an honor to uh, watch your career over the last several years, watching crazy, crazy, awesome, uplifting videos, man. So it's a true honor to be on your show. Ah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I started coming across, I was searching for positive, inspirational people, human beings who are showing up in life in a positive way. And I did some research and I was easy. You came right to the top. When I started typing <laughs> in like a similar type of podcast that I'm trying to emulate, you know, humans 2.0, you know, came right up to the top and you've really built yourself a brand around this type of message about tapping into the inner self, showing up in a more positive light, you know, take, you're a young guy. You're 22. Yeah. 23. 23 years old. All right. We got to update those articles. I got to do better research. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> I was looking at that the other day. We got to update those. Yeah. <laughs> but but you've, been, you've been, you're in this mindset already from your, from your late teens already, you know, listening to your story about how your parents immigrated from Egypt, 200 bucks in their pocket. And they hustled, as you said, to create a, a life that, you know, you, you, for you to be able to thrive in. And, um, but yet you found yourself in some, some, some struggle times, struggling times in your, in your teens. Can you take me yeah. back to what those struggles look like? And what was that moment in which you realized at such a young age that I want more for myself? Yeah, man, absolutely. So, you know, for me at a pretty young age, I was kind of living in the inner city uh, in Boston and my parents got better jobs and we moved to like this super small town with 5,000 people. And the really interesting part about this place was um, there was no racial diversity. And so I remember just like being a kid and then all of a sudden, you know, sort of coming into contact with racism, sort of never seen this before in my life. And I remember just entering this mentality at a very young age that I didn't even consciously realize I was entering it. And it was this mentality of just like hide from the world don't show up as yourself. I was that kid that just sat like in the back of every classroom, in the back of the bus, never had any friends, was so socially anxious, could never talk to people. And so that was basically my life for about 10 years. And when I was about 18, I started to consciously realize what this was. I started to realize that, hey, social anxiety and mental health are real things. It's not just like something that's made up. And it's not sort of a, a moral or an ethical failure of like a certain character flaw that I have within myself. And so when I realized that, initially, what really began to happen was I was almost, uh, you know, almost posed with my own mortality, with the responsibility of my life. I sort of saw two paths in front of me of like, hey, Mark, I could try to be more positive. I could try to learn about this. I could try to be proactive, uh, really manage this problem in my life so that I can grow and become the person who I want to be. Or I saw the other path, which was just kind of like, hey, just try to ignore this. Just try to like slide by. Just try to like distract yourself with like drinking, partying and food. And so I took that route at first. And next thing I know, I was like over 200 pounds. I uh, was depressed. Wow, that's hard to believe because you're you're a skinny dude. You know, that's that's <laughs> what a transformation. Yeah, man. If you ever heard of the freshman fifteen, I gained like the freshman seventy five over the course of like a couple months, and what's it was a, literally. Know, what's the freshman fifteen for those who don't? As I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> it's I like this. It's like this thing. Oh, that's funny. It's like this thing where like you go to college and like you're kind of separated from your parents and you have access to like food and all this stuff. So then you just eat a ton and then you gain 15 pounds. It's like pretty normal. And so for me, I gained 75 pounds. And so a little bit of a difference. But um, 
but you know, that's really where I became seriously depressed. My lifelong social anxiety that I had always had transformed to social isolation. I stopped hanging out with friends, even though I was living with roommates at the time and really just like a really dark time in my life. And there was even a period of time where I was really just flirting with suicide. And it was for like about a month like that. And that had never happened to me before. And it was almost just like once I hit that rock bottom where I truly saw the worst version of myself, then I was able to gain perspective and then build the best version of myself. You know, I had, uh, I had grown up in um, like a religious community and honestly, I never really believed in God. And it wasn't until I was at that rock bottom where I truly felt like for the first time in my life, I gained access to some higher power more than me. And so that was like the first little start that then just was a series of steps, weeks, months, years that eventually had me working on all aspects of my health, my physical health, my mental health, my spiritual health, my relationships, uh, my businesses, my purpose in the world. And so, yeah, it's been a crazy, crazy ride, man. But, but overall, I'm super grateful. That's, you, you touched on so many interesting parts. And, like, and, and I wanted to delve and unpack it a little bit more deeply in the sense that you, you were saying how you, you hit this, like this bottom, this, this moment where you looked at yourself and you were in the lowest. You know, we find ourselves like in, I know I myself have, have been in places where I had to like look myself in the mirror and get honest with myself, but there's an idea of which you, you see yourself in the mirror. And sometimes when you see that pain and you see that, you know, you sort of get disgusted with yourself, you want, you, you I usually fall back into the same patterns to numb that with the same mm. behaviors, which I'm upset at myself. So how did you, mm. you know, crack that code, that, that, that behavior pattern to yeah. say, Hey, you know what, this is the time in which I'm going to start changing. Yeah. So, th- so this is the biggest thing, right? And, um, and, and, you know, what you said, I- I've heard this from so many of, of my different friends and, and people that reach out to me all the time. And I think the biggest thing is just falling into a line of thinking where you think things are your fault. And what I mean by that is this, right? So I'm a, I'm a big proponent of individual responsibility. You know, I'm a big proponent of if you want to change anything, you got to like grab it. You got to take responsibility for it because yeah. if you don't own something, then how can you change it? However, I have definitely seen in, um, you know, maybe I'm just generalizing here, but I've definitely seen in my friends who are also from the Middle East, parts of Asia, have immigrant parents where they th- start thinking that everything is their fault, even things that are bigger than them. And so what I mean by that is, my entire life, I sort of kind of knew I had anxiety, but what stopped me from working on it was I would look at myself in the mirror and I would say, wow, Mark, you know, you have anxiety, you suck, you have no friends. I guess this is just like the way that God created me. Or like, I guess that this is just the way that my life is always going to be. And the biggest thing is just realizing for me, like a little bit of, um, like learning a little bit about the science, because I think one of the good things about science is that it makes things objective. And so you can be going and you can say, oh, I have all this anxiety. I have all this stress. I have all this depression. But when you start to look at it from like a, a biochemical perspective, you start to realize like, oh, you know, if one plus one plus two is equal to four, then this is what my life is going to be. And so for me, when I really began to look at the science and began to realize that anxiety was a real thing, and it's not, it doesn't mean that you're not a man or it doesn't mean you need to toughen up or it doesn't mean that. Were you you told that growing up? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, the craziest part about it is when I was growing up, I don't think I ever heard the words mental health, anxiety, or depression. It was just like toughen up or like, Oh, why aren't you like everybody else? And so when you're thinking like that and you go to change, there's no way that you're possibly going to change. It's only until you can drop that level of shame, because this is the big thing, Mary, that I learned. When you have that level of shame, you can't actually forgive yourself. You can't accept who you are. And if you don't accept who you are, then you can never forgive yourself for any of the mistakes in your past for what you've done that give you shame. And if you can't forgive yourself, there's no way that you can love yourself. And so that's the biggest thing that I truly learned. It's to get out of the cycle of blaming yourself. It's to get out of the cycle of saying like, oh, you know, this is just the way that I was born or this is the way that I was created or I guess I'm messed up. 
but just like realizing, hey, this is something that literally millions of people face. It's, this is not like a moral or a character flaw. This is sort of a scientific phenomenon that happens that you can take steps. You can add different levels and begin to tackle that in your life. And so for me, that's been like one of the biggest things that I've learned and that stops people. And so like there's a, there's a quote that I have in my book, Screw Being Shy, where I say, the moment where I stopped looking at myself as like a terrible person, looking at my anxiety as a character flaw and more like sort of a scientific phenomenon, that's where I began to look at myself as a science project. And when you start to look at yourself as a science project, it gets a lot easier to experiment. It gets a lot easier to change this thing over here, to change this thing over here. And so I find that through doing that, that can really help you just like, you know, rebuild your mind if you're someone, you know, who has sort of faced a similar path as I faced, if that makes sense. It makes total sense. It makes total sense. And, and, and obviously you're, you're, you're in a, a true example of taking those steps and to, and to creating a new possibility and a new, a new, and a new perspective and life for yourself. And someone who's listening right now who finds himself in that dark place, whether it's around suicide or it's whether in deep anxiety, what are some immediate steps that they can take to relieve that pain, to clear some space so they could take action and to improve their life and their mindset? Yeah, man. So, so on Tuesday uh, or Monday, I'm not sure of this week, I recorded this podcast episode and it was called uh, Thinking of Suicide. Listen to this. And um, it's like 40 minutes. It's just me. And I go like deep, deep in depth about like what I was facing at that time, what somebody is in that same moment, what they can do about it, how they can start thinking better. And um, I mean, it's like already like the most downloaded podcast episode ever. And it like just came out, which is kind of sad, honestly, but, but I think it's needed. Um, so I would say that's one. But the other thing that I would say is this. So, you know, bear with me when I say this, but I actually don't think that the feeling of suicide is inherently a bad thing. And I know that's terrible. And 800,000 people every single year commit suicide. And I almost wasn't that statistic, but this is what I mean by that. When I was suicidal, what I actually was is I did not want to kill myself. All I did was my brain was trying to figure out, Hey Mark, how do we fix this problem that's in front of us? And this is at a time where I had read like zero books in my life. I didn't have the information. I didn't have the awareness. And so my brain thought that the next best possible solution based on its information that it knew was to just end life because it was very painful. But what I realized was that inherent feeling of wanting to end it, of wanting to kill yourself, that can be redirected. That can be redirected to say, hey, I don't actually want to kill myself, but maybe I want to kill this identity that I have created that I've just been running along with my entire life. And personally for me, that's, that's what I sort of felt like. I felt like I wasn't myself. I felt like I had built a sort of external character that just appeased everybody. And whenever I was in a social interaction, I would never be my true self. I would never actually do the things that I wanted. And so when I was on that night and my, my brain was, was kind of getting me to think this, obviously I didn't, I didn't realize it right then and there, but looking back, I realized that one, the most powerful thing you can do if you're in that situation is to realize that there's nothing wrong with you and that your brain is just running off what it knows. But if you can teach yourself better coping mechanisms to let's say, um, not control, but to consciously help you create the person who you want to be rather than the default setting, the default identity that you have sort of been put here on this earth and you've just sort of picked up whatever garbage that your mind has heard. That's really one of the most powerful things. And like, for example, that's, that's like my whole podcast. It's humans 2.0. It's saying like, Hey, we were born as human version 1.0. And there are a lot of great things that are sort of innately inside of us. But the problem is, is that they just get, surrounded by crap from the world things that aren't even right anymore that we're still living in whether you're 30 40 years old and so that's one of them the second thing 
that I would say is, you know, this may seem a little bit too like black and white. This may seem kind of like random, but honestly, the biggest thing for, for mental health in general that I've learned and through like literally talking to people who are way smarter than me on my show from doctors to neuroscientists, it's to change your diet, changing your diet, what you put in your mouth is the biggest thing that will signify if you're more prone uh, to have mental health issues it will accelerate it. And so whether you maybe have a tendency to have anxiety, you eat junk food, it's going to make it way worse. But even if you have anxiety, you eat better food, it helps you heal. There's all kinds of stuff I can talk on in the science. But one of the biggest things that I've learned is that, so one of the most empowering beliefs that I adopted was the fact that um, life is a series of your brain uh, firing off different neurons, different brain cells, neurotransmitters, uh, a feedback loop between your body and mind. And so that's like the scientific side of it. I'm a very spiritual person, but just empirically speaking, that's what life is. So like when you open your eyes and you see your vision, that is uh, sort of like a virtual reality that your brain is creating based on its senses, based on your past, based on your trauma, based on your anxiety. And so when you actually dig deep down into the science, you find out that a key neurotransmitter that is responsible for regulating your mood, your happiness, is called serotonin. And they've actually found in the last 10, 15 years um, that most of this serotonin, this neurotransmitter, isn't even in your brain. It's actually in your gut microbiome which is this ecosystem of bacteria between your stomach and intestines that is directly connected to your brain. If you take a look at what Harvard Medical says, they say this is the most emerging field of mental health called nutritional psychiatry. And so basically what they're realizing is that most of your food actually is fueled to create this serotonin neurotransmitter. And so if your serotonin neurotransmitters are completely out of balance, even if you are like a naturally happy person, you can still be depressed. And like, for example, I mentioned a study in my book that was done by the Department of Justice, and they found that um, uh, they, took, they took veterans who had killed themselves, and what they found was they did brain scans, and they found out that I believe it was some crazy number, like 85, 90% of the veterans who had killed themselves, their brains were extremely deficient in a wide variety of essential fatty acids of vitamins and minerals. And so basically what they're saying is that, you know, a lot of people like to talk about mindset and like having positive thoughts and that's all great. But the thing is, is you have to balance software and hardware, right? Software is your mind. Hardware is what your mind is running on, which is your physical brain. And today we live in a world 2020 where nobody cares about, like nobody cares about their brain. Everyone cares about, you know, how big their six pack muscles are or or how big their butt is or, or whatever it is. Or like if their beard is nice or if their hair, nobody is actually caring about the physical condition of your brain. And like personally for me, when I look back at my past and I also see that Growing up as a kid, I had, I had asthma, I had ADHD, I had insomnia, I had issues with my bladder, I had issues with my stomach, I had different stomach issues. All those things are connected, every single one of those. And so I've truly been in awe of like understanding the real human body solution system and just realizing that like, hey, if you're really depressed, if you are suicidal, I know it may sound weird. But literally just start changing your diet. Start eating natural things. Start moving away from things that are like sodas, junk food, chips, candy, all that stuff. Eat a more natural diet. Things like vegetables, healthy meats, um, grains, things like that. Avoid the candy, alcohol, things like that. And you'll see what happens. It's it's crazy. Because this is one of the few things where, if you, I don't know if you've ever have a, had a friend in this, but... When you have a friend who is in this state who is extremely depressed and suicidal, it's very hard to actually talk to them. It's very hard to actually just give them advice because the reality is is their mind is completely closed off. And so I mentioned healthy eating because it's one of those things that you could just say to someone like, hey, do this, 
do this and then come back to being in, in like a month later and like watch what happens to your thoughts. So that's one of the biggest straightforward things I can say. That's tremendous. That's, that's really, that's huge. And it's funny. I've asked this question once or twice in the past, and usually there are a lot more mental health tips or how to think or redirect your thoughts and meditate and reach out to a therapist. And these are all very important and, and very crucial things that one can do to get out of, out of a dark place. However, you did go on for a bit about talking about your diet. And I am in agreement with you. There is so much interconnectivity when it comes to, like you said, the software and the hardware, when it comes to downloading that information, that mindset, as well as understanding that we are also besides, you know, emotional, spiritual beings, it's working on actually spirituality has helped me greatly as well, but also physically, mm. this is the body mm. that we find ourselves in. And even over quarantine, I found myself binge eating, bored eating, hitting this fridge and that, you know, trying to see if something reappeared in the fridge from two minutes beforehand. <laughs> and uh, I started baking cakes. I became a baker, Mark. You have no idea. And yes. <laughs> um, it, was, it was my way of coping with this uncertainty and this craziness that was taking place, being cooped up in the house. And I slowly saw myself falling into a weird state of limbo and, and mm. you know, maybe not such a dark depression, but definitely sad, emotionally unstable. And I switched, I flipped the switch by taking on the whole 30 diet and removing mm. sugars, removing different um, dairies and such. And, you know, I, and automatically, I, automatically, it did take some time and some, some discomfort sure. going through that withdrawal, but my moods did change tremendously. And it creates space for me to be able to like, okay, now that this physicality, this physical need is taken care of, I have now place to like work on the emotional, the mental, and the spiritual. It's interesting. Now, I, I did bring mm. up spiritual, and I want to just go back to one point of your story, which you mentioned that you grew up in a spiritual home, in a yes. religious home, I would say, a religious home. And, uh, but you only found the relationship with, with the higher power, with God, yeah. later on. What is it? What is it about that life, growing up in a religious atmosphere? And I, and I could agree with what you were saying. I grew up in, a, in, a, in an Orthodox Jewish home. And, um, but it's only later on in my life. Um, in my late 20s, did I really understand what it is to have a higher power in my life, a God in my life, and to yeah. build that spiritual connection for myself? What, did, what was it like for you? And what do you think that, that, difference, took, uh, that difference is between your, your childhood and, and later on? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, this, this is what I think, this is what I'm thinking so far. I'm still trying to figure this out. But I think the biggest thing is this, right? So I have learned that you know, whatever the person listening to this believes in, I think that God is truly, um, you know, a universal form, the ultimate form of, of love. And I think that, for example, religion is a language. It is a vehicle of that. I think that um, maybe a certain religion that you're in, that is a, another vehicle. That's another language. However, I think it is very much multifaceted. And what I mean to say that is, I personally think I kind of grew up in this religious community where I was told that God looks like this. And if you don't believe that God looks like this, then you are an atheist and you are not smart and you're going to hell and you should leave. Um, and so I think that was probably one of the biggest things that kind of turned me off. And then also the second thing is this, right? So there's this analogy by David Foster Wallace, and he says, um, it, it's something like this. He's like, you know, there's two goldfish swimming in a fishbowl. And one of the goldfish who's older, more experienced, says to the other goldfish who's younger, hey, how's the temperature of the water today? And the younger goldfish says, wait, what's water? And so literally fish are surrounded by this invisible substance called water. And yet they don't know it, or maybe some of them do. But if a fish, let's say, tries to go above water, it tries to leave the, the fishbowl, it can't because the water, the gravity holds it down. And so what I've learned is we are, we are that fish and the water is just whatever we are the most surrounded by. And oftentimes it becomes invisible and we just take it for granted. And so for me, I had spiritual, spirituality all around me all the time. But I was just like a little phone fish and I was like, huh, what is this stuff? Let me just ignore all this stuff. And so I think that's, that's a part of it too. Um, and then I think last but not least is, um, you know, it's funny, right? Because when I look back at my life, I truly don't think there was a single moment where I felt like God had sort of left me. 
like it's kind of weird now that I look back at my life I I could like literally see and feel God was there in every single one of my moments even in the darkest of times but quite honestly I I just don't think that my brain was was ready to handle him and what I mean by that is this so there is I assume you've seen like sort of Maslow's hierarchy of needs and it kind of says like hey if you don't have sort of safety and security and like food, then you're not going to be able to think about your self-esteem. You're not going to be able to think about positivity. If you can't think about positivity, if you can't think about, um, you know, sort of bigger things in your life, then you're never going to get to a spot where you're self-actualized, where um, you sort of really believe in the authentic version of yourself and you're purposeful. And so to be honest with you, I just think that for my entire life, I was just at the bottom just like barely psychologically surviving so that whenever someone told me about God, I was just like, dude, I don't have time to think about like, like in my head, like, Oh, this guy that like sits in the clouds, I need to like figure out how to get to like the next moment. I need to figure out how to survive for the next hour. And so I think that was sort of some of the biggest things, but I say that, you know, I think God was with me all the time because now I, I truly feel like I have such a, a strong connection with God. And I know that, you know, even in the times where I feel like I'm a weak, um, you know, sort of just human that's just flopping around planet Earth. And I kind of have this brain and I have this meat sack that I was just born into. And I have this crazy brain that ha- the average person has 60,000 thoughts a day. I know that... Um, sort of God and ultimately spirituality is one of the most powerful things that I can rely on. And ultimately that's the base layer of life, right? So there's the physical realm, which is what we all see right now. That's me and you, it's our faces. And then I think there's the mental realm, the emotional realm, and there's a the spiritual realm. And I think without that, without that foundation, none of these things truly matter or are meaningful. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to fit, to be honest with you, I'm trying to figure out how to like, how do you get this message to people who, are not religious or people who grew up like me who, who don't think it's because I think it's extremely powerful. So, you know, it's really interesting. Thank you for asking me that. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder if, um, I mean, I guess to, to sort of play off what you were saying and how do you get through to people? It's, it's interesting. Cause like, I wonder with you, I mean, you, you know, you're part of, part of generation Z and I wonder what the vibe yeah. is like when it comes to religious talk or spirituality talk, or is that one and the same and, and God, you know, like, people get weirded out by that kind of conversation. Yeah. And, um, and, but, and I know from my own experience that it's, 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 it's helped me a lot and it's, it's been an incredible, um, source of comfort and love. And it's really more recent, like I mentioned, and also once I was able to change my perception of what God mm. is to me, you know, I, and mm. I, I, I want to ask you, what mm. is, is the God that you believe in now different from the one you grew up in? And if yes, how so? Yeah. So, you know, for me, uh, my interpretation of God was very, very literal. So it was literally like, hey, there's this picture of Jesus. It's this guy, he, he kind of has a beard and, and that's, that's what God is. And, you know, for me, what I've learned is that, um, you know, like there's this quote that says, um, the king, it's a Bible verse. It says, uh, the kingdom of God is not made for one man or one group of people, but for all people of all groups. And when I heard that, it truly enabled me to realize that um, God is the most powerful force in the universe. And whatever we can think in our human minds of like the most direct form of, of love and truth and meaning, I believe that's what God is. And so he may come in the form of Jesus Christ. He may come in the form of, of other prophets or whatever, or, or experiences, um, but ultimately, at the end of the day, for me, the, the biggest thing was just realizing that, um, not that not that I am God, but part of the kingdom of God is always with me. I don't need to um, go to a certain place. I don't need to um, follow these certain rules in a certain way. And if I don't, I'm not religious or, or be called that or judged that by a group of people. Um, and so that, that for me is it. And also the biggest thing too is, um, you know, there's this other quote that, that I think ties in with this. It's, um, every mind can make a heaven into a hell and every mind can make a hell into a heaven. 
And so I think also the big part for me has been, um, I think for the most part, I was taught religion and spirituality almost in a way where it's just like, I'm just like an observer. All that stuff is, is over there. It's separate from me. But as I began to grow up, I began to realize that I'm made in the image of God. All of this is connected. That guy walking across the street with me, that is a totally normal guy that was born in a totally different circumstance, wearing different shoes, who has a different family. But he literally is me. We're all cut from the same sort of cloth. And so that's the way that I kind of think about it. And then also the fact that um, this force of, uh, of God it's what ties all of us in together. I think it's what gives us that feeling of, of connection. And I think that's one of the most powerful things in the world. You know, like try to take somebody who has a ton of money, who has great health, but they can't feel connection with other people. They don't feel this sort of sense of they're connected with everything. That's very lonely. That's very isolating. And I think for me, that is like one of the most pure expressions that I can think of when I think of, of God, when I think of spirituality. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know if that makes sense, but that, that to me is my interpretation. Tremendous. Yeah. I, I mean, absolutely. I, I'm in total agreement that within us is, is God. We're, you know, there's a, a soul, a spirit, a fire, that is um, all from the same source. And uh, it's in this darkness of the world and <clears throat> in this creation of chaos uh, that I think blur the lines and, and, and make us think that we're better than others or this is the only way or mm. this is the way in which um, it only disrupts that, 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 that beautiful flow of, of connection and divinity that, that is within us. So um, yeah. I think it's through these kind of conversations uh, where it's, it's safe to talk and to say, you know, perhaps it's this way is not the way or better. Like there's many roads that lead between New York and California. It was one better than the, no, than, than the other, not necessarily. It depends what you need. You want to go there fast, want to take right. a scenic route, you want to go north, south, uh, want to make loops, whatever it is. Uh, but it's understanding that, uh, that there, there are paths, there is a path and, and finding your way is, is the right way. Uh, so I, I think that's, um, it's an important message to, to share. And, and, and generally, as I'm like listening to you, Mark, it's, it's constantly so in, um, inspiring because, and I don't like to stress too much when it comes uh, on number, age, you know, f- for example, whether that comes to meaning dating, whether it comes to being inspired by somebody, but there is something about just realizing the way you're talking and presenting yourself and, and showing up in the world that to have these, this wisdom, to have this realization, to be asking these questions, to be in the conversation at a, you know, at 23 years old, and, and this has already been starting for the past number of years now in your teens. So it's, do you find yourself um, one of a kind in this, in this generation Z, in this, in this, in your age group? Do you find that there are many others? And, and what, what do you think it is that keeps you in this conversation? Yeah, so that's, that's a great question, man. So, so so yeah, I mean, I'm, I think I'm sure like statistically speaking, I'm sure I'm definitely an outlier. Um, but I've met a lot of, uh, a lot of people in Gen Z, some, some 23, some younger than me who, who are on the same path and, and, you know, we're all kind of outliers, but I think ultimately everyone I've talked to who is not kind of doing something similar to me deep down, they all want to, whether, whether it doesn't matter if you start a podcast or you something, but you want to express yourself. You want to sort of break out from this monotony of what we've been told, how we should act, how we should think, and more or less just trying to find our own truth, trying to find what love really means to us, trying to find out what it means to live in a world 2020 where we have access to exponential technology that can completely change the world and yet most people are sort of drunk, drowning in sort of this digital vortex that I call scrolling for hours on, on TikTok, not living their own lives. And so I think that's part of it. And, um, and, and what has made me kind of still be in this? Um, you know, honestly, man, I think this is it. I, I don't try to be like some like expert. I don't try to be like some perfect like you know podcast host and like this crazy yeah. personality. Like I, sure. I'm just myself, and I experiment. You know, like I when I was on your show, I talked to you about music. That's something I'm starting to to dig into, and I'm just honest. You know, like for example, like yesterday, personally for me, was not a great day. 
um, you know, all things considered. And, you know, I, I'm just honest about it. I, I reflect about it. I, I go down into the cave that's really deep and dark. And sometimes I spend some time in there, but then I go up and I'm like, hey guys, what's up? Uh, I'm a totally normal guy. This is what I messed up on. This is what I suck at. This is what I've learned. And I'm constantly in this process of constantly trying to grow myself, constantly trying to uh, shed the layers of my ego, constantly trying to just focus on the important things. And I, I mess up so often. And so I think, um, I think people just see that and they're like, oh, this is some guy who's going through the same journey as me. He's not, he's not like posting all like these quotes on Instagram that are like, you know, just be awesome and start like a $10 million business, bro, and be fearless and kill people. Like, like, nah, I'm just like, I'm out here just living my life. I share my thoughts, positive, negative. And I think when people look at that, you know, it, it's, uh, it's refreshing. And so that's it, man. You know, and, and like the biggest thing is like, I, um, I have a lot of friends who are way more famous than me. Um, I have a past uh, before that, uh, that made me not famous, but that gave me a little bit of credibility. I remember when I was 15, 16, I like started this top video game community, made me like six figures. And so I've seen the traps. Yeah. (laughs) I've seen the traps of fame and money and the ego and it always tries to sneak up on you. But that's something I'm always, always, always paying attention for. I don't want to create some like false image of myself. I don't want to create some facade and then be alienated and then feel like I can't post on social media because I'm not myself. And so that's been one of the biggest things. And and so, yeah, sometimes it's heavy. Sometimes it's not the best. I'm sure sometimes I could like maybe do a better job, but I think that's the biggest thing is I'm, I'm just doing this stuff, man. You know, and honestly, whether social media or whether my podcast was here or not, I'd still be doing the same stuff. Yeah, I, that's, that's, that's huge, man. Thank you so much for sharing and sharing that vulnerability. And I, I could totally understand sometimes when, you, when you've tasted you know, the fame or success in, in the material aspect of things, and then it's, it's, it's not longer there, you fill this void. Before, you're all fine and great. You know? I remember the first time I hit 1,000 likes or 10,000, a million likes, but yeah, how exciting it was. But then if it didn't reach that bar again for the second time or the third time, I was like, oh my God, where's that thing? This non-existing thing that I didn't need two weeks ago, now I need yeah. it. And, and this game starts playing in your mind and these facades and the, and, and the ego yeah. comes involved. And, and you get... And, and I started to identify with that as who I am. Mm. And, uh, it, it, and it took some time learning, experiencing to realize that that's, that's not okay. And, and, and to grow from that. And, and through that experience, it makes me a more rounded grounded type of person and to realize what is important in life, you know, impact over numbers and, and building yeah. like a community of like-minded individuals that want to, you know, create a world in which it's it's brighter and, and positive and optimistic and have real meaningful type of conversations to step into that conversation. So I, I, I totally agree with you, Mark, and, and it's, it's quite incredible to be able to realize that and to keep on keeping on. Uh, there was an element which you talked about, um, about Gen Z, and, and I'm not picking on Gen Z at yeah. all. I mean, millennials and, and, and boomers, and we all, we all fall into the trap of social media. And, and more, more recently, after watching The Social Dilemma, that's right now can be found on Netflix, it explains a lot that's of reasons crazy. why with the algorithms and the AI that takes place about how these are designed to truly harvest our attention span and to focus on and to buy and click and so, so on and so forth. And it does yeah. mention Gen Z specifically because they are the first generation in which they were born with this reality, a millennial like myself, we were in the cups, you know, I, I grew up in a world where it didn't exist. And then it was introduced. And I, you know, I too fell into, into this, uh, into this vortex of such and, and working yeah. and building boundaries and relationship with it. However, Gen Z never really had a chance. And I'm curious to know, what are some of the challenges that Gen Z are facing today? What are what, how is it different from the generations that came previously? And is there anything that the generations like myself and older can do to help to assist and how can we listen to be more helpful to, to the generation of Z? Yeah, man, this is a great question. So you know, there's this great quote by uh, Victor Frankl and I'm paraphrasing, but he says, if uh, if a man or woman is not connected with their meaning, with their purpose in life, they are going to spend every single second trying to escape into pleasure. And so I think, honestly, what I have seen is Gen Z, this growing population of people who have just sort of got here, 
are in this really weird time where all of a sudden we went from a place where, you know, all the generations before us that grew up, it was just like, you believed what your parents told you. You went to whatever, you know, church or temple that you were told to. Your friends were sort of all the similar thing. You were told that, hey, there was this path or this path. And I think the reality is, is that technology has enabled us to see how other people live their lives. And when we see how other people live their lives, all of a sudden we realize, oh, wait, no, there's actually 10,000 different ways that you can live your life. But my parents didn't tell me this. My school didn't tell me this. My religion didn't tell me this. And so I think, honestly, you get a lot of people in Gen Z who are, are not revolting, but are trying to find their own path because the societies before us, the generations before us, didn't take that into a factor. It was just like, hey, you're going to do what we're told and you're going to do this. But then now you can look it up and you can see if people are lying to you. I also think the fact that just more transparency in general in terms of politics, in terms of different leaders in our societies, kids can now see, oh, wow, this guy talking on the news is, is filled with crap. He has no idea what he's talking about or, or you know, he did X, Y, and Z thing wrong. And so I think overall the illusion of, hey, do this thing, we're adults, that is gone. That is completely faded. And so that is extremely scary. That is so scary for the average kid that's growing up and their parents are working like two different jobs. They're on social media. They have no idea what's going on. They don't know what the future is going to look like. Maybe they get, you know, maybe they sort of believe the, the, the doom and gloom that's on the news, that's on social media, that tells them the world is, is, is sucks and the future is going to be terrible. And so you combine that alongside with the fact that, you know, um, many different places, religion is going down and religion was one of, Religion is kind of like self-development, you know, like that's like the original self-development. It teaches us a lot of our values, morals through different stories. And yet a lot of people have been alienated from that. And so you have this population of people that are starting to realize the reality and they don't, you know, there's no religion because they say like, Hey, if I was told that I can only be Christian, but then I see people around the world who are Jewish, who are Muslim, who are Buddhist and they're perfectly happy, there's nothing wrong with them, then is that really the only one true religion that's right? And so you begin to ask yourself all these big questions. And the reality is, is we now live in a society where it's so easy to, to distract yourself, whether that's with social media, whether that's with food, whether that's with alcohol, it's so easy. And I, I personally believe that social media is just another escape. Um, of course, I definitely think there is a lot of legitimate harm when it comes to kind of like the algorithms that you talked about, companies trying to take advantage of your psychology to profit. But I honestly think social media is just like everything else. And, and personally for me, what I have seen is that, um, honestly, I think this has to do with how a guy in a girl's brain works differently. But I've seen, and if you look at the data too, a lot of males don't really struggle with social media. It's, it's mostly females. Guys struggle more with social media from... Uh, or the internet with uh, like video games and pornography, just based on how our brains work. And so, yeah, it's definitely a scary place, but I think it's one of those things where it's like, if people are missing meaning from their lives, they're missing a community, they're missing health, they're missing sort of their brain working properly, they're going to reach for the closest possible distraction, which is literally for everyone, it's your phone. And so I've used my phone to totally change my life. I've used it to um, literally connect with people like you, people who I didn't have around me. Um, but it can also destroy you. You know, if you're not intentional about it, if you don't have a goal, then whenever you go on your phone, you are just a pawn in somebody else's goal. Like whenever you go on Instagram, yo, you're literally talking about billions of dollars being spent on psychologists, on marketers literally trying to figure, to figure out how do I get this person to click on this? And so I think it's one of the most powerful forces in the world, but with power comes responsibility. And, and then all of a sudden you have a generation of people who are lost and then you're like, hey, 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 here's his phone. Hey, here's his phone. And guess what? We're not even going to teach you how to use social media. We're not even going to teach you what's right, what's wrong. 
We're not going to teach you anything in regarding to privacy, in regarding to like, you know, teaching people, hey, what's real on social media versus what's fake. And I think that like what, what is happening is what's happening. And so it's definitely really scary. Honestly, the biggest thing, the last question you said is, is what can we do from other generations about this? Honestly, what I would say is um, instead, of, instead of looking at social media as like the big bad devil, you need to take the opposite approach. You need to take an additives approach. So if you're saying, hey, my kid is doing nothing but inside all day watching TikTok or, or doing God knows what, he's missing something from his life. He's missing a purposeful, more connected version aside from a phone screen. And so that can be really hard, especially if kids get hooked on it earlier. And like, if we're talking real young, like before eight, before 10, I like, I would just say to, to not even like bring that like in your house, but to teach them about it. Right. And so I think the most important thing that we do is, is teach our kids, not, not sort of take an approach that, uh, the previous generations did for you guys on drugs of like, Hey, don't, don't do drugs. Don't do it. They're going to kill you. They're going to rot your brain rather than versus giving them actual information that they can then create an adult that can make a rational science information based decision on their own life rather than like what we see going on now because of drugs. And so the biggest thing is if they're super early, don't even like introduce them to that, but inform them, teach them. And Man, this has got to happen. I don't know if it's got to happen in the education system or what, but there needs to be a universal social media class. Like there needs to be someone, some, some program that teaches kids like, hey, you should probably not go on your phone first thing in the morning because we now know that if you go on your phone first thing in the morning, that's going to set your day, especially when you know, your phone is like a roulette. You know, like when I check my email, I check it. I'm like, oh, wow, two good emails. And I'm like, oh damn it no. yeah, and yeah, so, yeah the emotional roller coaster takes place early in the morning <laughs> yeah and so that one teaching people how to spot like fake news how to spot bots on twitter uh teaching them how to like limit their social media time like percy for me um you know for me i try to schedule in my social media time um so like if i know i'm gonna be uh like doing something i'll say like hey from four to four thirty I'm going to go through my LinkedIn messages or I'm going to go on my social media and check it. And so there needs to be a lot of this fundamental training because if you just give these extremely powerful tools, which the average, um, if you look at it, like the average person today has more computing power in their pocket than the United States president did 20 years ago. And so with that much power, there needs to be information, education, training, responsibility. And we're missing that whole other half. And dude, honestly, this is the sad reality. I think if this doesn't happen, it's going to get way worse. Like, dude, I have friends of mine who are in that work at Facebook, that work at Google, and they're talking to me about things about um, virtual reality, augmented reality, AI, like, dude, this is, this is just beginning. And, um, I was on, I was on this other podcast that was all about this. And I said something that they like, they quoted, I put up on my Instagram and I said, um, the future belongs to those who have enough psychological resilience to not get distracted by the digital vortex that is happening now. And is just going to get bigger. And so like personally for me, like before I started talking about mental health on my show, I literally just talked about business entrepreneurship technology. And the more I got into it, the more I'm like, oh crap, before we like master the algorithm, before we master the technology, we need to master the human. And the reality is, is the systems in our society just aren't even built to do that, let alone technology. But with billions of dollars, with funding, with Silicon Valley, with companies, that's going to happen either way. And so this is like really, I think, one of the most important things that we need to do to really help kids build not just like the social media awareness tools, but to really have them build psychological resilience. Because honestly, if you don't have that, then why wouldn't you just go on your phone and get lost in a virtual world than working on your own life in in physical reality? And so I think that's one of the biggest things. And it's something I'm trying to focus on, trying to get more about. But I think it starts with us like with us not having like a gut, a gut jerk reaction of saying like, Oh my God, social media technology is evil. It's bad. But it's saying this, my phone is extremely powerful. 
It helps me run my business. It helps me do so many different things that we wouldn't be able to do. If I am going to respect something to use it accordingly, I have to actually love it. And so for me, I'm like trying to write an article about this. I'll send it to you later, but sure, I'm to say, like, I, I love my phone. I think we need to take like a self-love approach, but with our phones, because it's only until you truly love your phone and you respect it for how much power it is. Then you're like, okay, I need to be responsible. I need to set up the proper boundaries so that I use my phone and my phone doesn't use me. And so that's like one of the biggest things that I can say for, for a lot of us, not, you know, not just people in our generation or my generation. Mark, thank you. Thank you. you That's, (laughs) I think that's great. Yeah. I think you nailed on some really important topics and, um, and, and, and a lot of truth there. Like it's, it is ultimately a tool and it's really working on self, so the self-discipline, setting up those boundaries, realizing that this is not going to slow down. This is not going to change. And to, to be really honest with yourself, right? Like how do you know if you're somewhat addicted to the phone slash social media, spend time away from it and see how you feel about that. You know, yeah. just, just take a moment to realize how that feels. Are you getting a little anxiety? Are your mind you're tripping out of it? Then there may be something to work out, uh, you know, internally and that, and that, and that relationship between that device. So a hundred percent where it's a work in progress. It's, it's all very fresh and new. And we're in the beginning of this all. So we, it's taking a gentle approach, but also being honest, staying connected and reaching out for help if need be and saying those, saying the priorities correct. But, um, yeah, no, absolutely. There's still a whole lot I, I love to talk to you about. Um, and I know we are, you know, pressed for time. So I really appreciate Mark, you know, your time, but I, I just want to squeeze in this two questions around because yeah. you have a very successful podcast and we, as yes. you know, podcast is a new, is, is all, it's, it's a new rage and everybody, you know, has one. <laughs> and so, or perhaps would like to have one. So my guess, my first question would be to you is basically what is some, some basic ways that someone can launch a podcast and what is, the biggest thing that stops someone from doing that and how could they get past that? Oh man, I love this dude. So it's funny. I don't know. I don't know if you know this, but, um, but last month or no, it's in October now in August, I, I launched a new business called Growcast, And basically it's this podcast network accelerator that literally teaches people how to start podcasts, how to grow them, how to monetize them, how to do all that stuff. And for companies too. And so honestly, I've been, I've been like working for like my, my day job. I've been working, um, literally with like leaders, fortune 500 CEOs trying to get them to start podcasts. And the biggest thing is this, the biggest thing, like literally is the mindset. You're pointing to your mind, your mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's literally, yeah. I'm putting them in my mind. Yeah. You're right. Audio. For the listeners. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like I should know that, but um, you know, honestly starting a podcast, super simple. I mean, there's so many different apps that you can use. You could like start a podcast on your phone. There's like that app called anchor. Um, but honestly, I think the biggest thing that stops people from, from moving with their podcast is they end up like starting a podcast in like some like random niche that they don't even really care about because they hired some marketing dude and, and that's what they told them. And then they just like run this podcast and they interview people. And then what happens is it just, they don't really care about it. It becomes monotonous. Eventually they burn out and they're like, I didn't actually start the podcast for myself. And so the biggest thing is using a podcast as a tool, as a vehicle for yourself and your, and your vision and your movement. And so, for example, like I, like, for example, when I was first learning how to like meditate, I was literally like, okay, who are the top 10, 15 world experts on meditation? Let me use my podcast to talk to them and then learn from myself. Hey, I want to learn about nutrition. Who are the top 10 people that I should be talking to? Let me use them on my podcast. Um, you know, I, uh, like I told you, I've been dabbling in music. So then all of a sudden I started to get on these different music producers and these different people in music to like talk about different things. I, um, a little bit, I was into like, um, like, like, um, like sports and kind of like the sports industry. And I started to get on different, like former NBA players, NFL players, and talk about like mental health, talk about how do you deal with success? How do you deal with pressure? And so for me, I'm using my podcast as a super selfish tool to just like learn, 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 learn. Um, And so like, for example, you know, when I invited you to come on my podcast, one of the biggest things was like, dude, I'm freaking out about releasing this music thing. How do I like, let me talk to this creator who's (laughs) who's got so much experience. Let me see how he's figured, how he's thinking about it. Um, And so I think that's, that's the biggest thing. How about what? I said, I hope it was helpful. 
Yeah, it was super helpful, man. And, and I got a lot of feedback from, from other people. Um, and then honestly, in terms of like, uh, you know, like growing it and stuff, personally for me, like, you know, I'm an entrepreneur, maybe I'm biased, but I think the best platform, the best underrated way is LinkedIn. I think if you're like in the business entrepreneurial uh, development space, LinkedIn for me is honestly what made my career. You know, like if some people got their careers made by like YouTube or Facebook, for me, it was hands down LinkedIn. And so I've been extremely um, uh, passionate about that platform, especially in terms of like growing, growing the podcast from an audience, but then also on a, like a business development level. And so like for me, I literally have gotten um, all of like my major sponsors for my show come through LinkedIn. Um, any like and is speaking? that because there's is that because they're seeing you post or are you reaching out to them via LinkedIn and that starts a conversation? No, they just see me post um, or maybe or maybe they send me a message first or something like that. And that's because like you know I, I love Instagram and all these other platforms, but people are on LinkedIn are in the business world. They're 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 CMOs, they're CEOs, they're COOs, they're people who are executives, people who are making decisions in the business game. And so LinkedIn is like a double whammy for that because a lot of those business people are on there compared to let's mm. say like Facebook, Instagram. And so like the uh, like the buying power, the bang for your buck on LinkedIn is way more, way more, even if like you get less views per se. Um, and so, yeah, LinkedIn has been hands down at a business and then also at like a personal audience level has been like my, my, my boat, my vehicle. <laughs> That's amazing. Thanks for sharing that, Mark. Two more questions for you. One is what, where do you see the podcast world going in the next two to five years? Yeah, man, this is super interesting. I think it's going to go and change and be much more interactive. And so what I mean by that is that, um, you know, there's all these podcasts like mine, for example, that are just interviews, right? You just get someone on, you talk to them. That's cool and everything for information, but I don't think that is the only way to do a podcast. And so, for example, like um, mixing up different mediums. So like for me, I didn't, I didn't do a song, but I, but I released like a, um, like, a, like a musical poem and I put that on my podcast. Uh, I did this thing where um, I... I got someone on my, my show and I coached them live on like, Hey, this is the process, how to do it. Um, there are other podcasts that, you know, go through someone's story and it's kind of like a more of like a documentary where it's like you sit down with someone and then you guys are like in an interview for like five minutes and then it switches and it's musical. And it's like, you know, when Mir was growing up in, in New York city or whatever, you yeah, know, this is what yeah, yeah, sure. Like yeah. Guy Raz does a bit of that. In a sense, yeah. Of how he how he'll throw in some music, break, do a little, um, you know, with how how it's um, how it's made. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That like and, that. I think doing it live is a massive, massive one. Obviously, because of COVID, that like put put a hole in that. But um, but like like going on like before this whole thing happened, I was supposed to go on tour f with my podcast and like do all these interviews across the country live, which had to be uh, you know, put a put a hole in. And so I think doing things like that, trying to find ways to make it interactive, involve your listeners. I think that's what it is. And honestly, there's no rules. There's no right or wrong. And so this is like a medium that's going to get so creative over like these next couple of years, especially as there are more and more podcasters, more competition, but there is also a lot of power in feeling that hunger and feeling sort of, you know, that foolishness because that can help you start a lot of great things, you know? Yeah, absolutely, Mark. Mark, all right, you, you, you laid down a whole bunch of wisdom. Uh, you have so much going on besides your podcast, but do, do share with, uh, with, with the listeners, um, where can they hear, hear your podcast? Where can they find your book? And uh, where can they find more about you? Yeah, so if you guys go to my website, M-A-R-K-M-E-T-R-Y.com, just my first and last name, that's like a great place for my podcast, my book links, uh, add me on LinkedIn, follow me on Instagram, shoot me a message that you came from this. And, um, yeah, Mary Kay, thank you so much for having me and have a great day. <laughs> have a great day, Mark. Thank you so much. Stay blessed and continue success in all your endeavors. You too, brother. Thank you so much for having me on. This is one for the books. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this great day podcast episode. It really means a lot to me that you make the time 
to listen, to support this podcast. If you haven't yet, please subscribe, comment, and rate the podcast. It goes a long way. And if you've gotten any value out of this podcast, share it with friends or family. And remind yourself, put it in your calendar. Every Monday, a new episode is released. I have a fantastic lineup of incredible humans from authors to musicians to inspirational thought leaders. All of them are on this podcast and uh, I will be planning to release them every Monday on the Monday. No better way to kick off the week by listening to the Great Day Podcast. And until then, I want to wish you a great day ahead.